a very warm welcome to you. This is the international service of Adventist World Radio in English. In today's program, Reflection takes a look at Christianity and politics. We talk to a Christian politician at the House of Lords in England who's keen to make a difference. And then we'll dig into the post bag to see who's been mailing us this week. Then in Travelogue, we visit the exotic island of Osaka. And we bring you music from Russ Taff. And our thought this week is on God's grace. I'm Piper Anna Shields. And I'm Victor Holbert. And this is AWR Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Lord Ian McColl is a former chief of surgery at Guy's Hospital in London, England. He's also a professor of medicine and volunteers his time and medical expertise to needy countries in Africa. But AWR's Ray Allen caught up with him at the House of Lords recently to talk to him about his role as a Christian politician and member of the House of Lords. Lord McCall, you play a very important part in both the medical field and the field of politics. What circumstances led you to become involved in politics? Well, it wasn't my idea, I have to tell you. Um, they had a rather quaint custom in the UK where if you want uh, to get a chairman to chair a royal commission or a government committee of inquiry, you choose a chairman who knows absolutely nothing about the subject, which is presumably why they chose me to look into um, the question of the supply of equipment for disabled people, wheelchairs, artificial limbs, and so on. In what ways do you think your Christianity influences your work as a politician or someone who participates in government through the House of Lords? Well, I think one's Christian faith really is something for every minute of the day, and it should have an influence on the way we think and the way we act. That's not to say we become paragons of virtue, but I think if you have Christ in your mind, if you're practicing the presence of Jesus, it should have an effect on what you do. One is a bit hesitant about saying, you know, we're cut above the rest because we're not. I mean, the essence of the Christian faith is that you realize uh, your weaknesses, uh, your failures. Um, I like that word in the Greek New Testament for sin. It's hamartoma, which is a falling short. You know, when you're firing an arrow, it falls short of the target. And I think that whole emphasis is that we have great difficulty in living or impossible to live up to the standards that God requires. But our Lord does help us in our decision-making and so on and keeping to the strict principles of trying to be honest. That's how you try to live your life. You don't have to keep telling everyone that you are honest and have high principles. It's just obvious. What challenges do you think a Christian politician in particular has to if any. Well, I think the, the question of truth, that is one of the essential things. But the problem comes, for instance, if you're looking after the, the finances of a nation and you're asked a question on the radio, are you going to devalue the pound or are you going to devalue this? If you, if you hesitate and say, well, we're having to think about it, the markets will crash. So, I mean, there are, there are problems. So, not answering the question is not the same as lying through your teeth. 
Many people, Christians in particular, believe that Christianity and politics should never be mixed. What's your reaction to this view? Um, I, I think there's a real danger. If you, you stand up and say, I'm a Christian and you know my policies, therefore, <laughs> are better than those that aren't, I think that's pretty dicey. I rather like George Bush Jr. We don't call him George Bush Jr. We call him the 43rd president of the United States. Well, I, you see, he didn't, before the election recently, make mention of his Christian faith. But after he was elected, then he did. And I think that's the right way around. What advice would you have for a young Christian who's thinking of becoming involved in politics? Well, I, I would go for it. Um, we need people like that in politics. I mean, I always feel very uncomfortable with people who say politicians are dishonest people and you want to stay out of that. Politicians are just the same as every other sort of person, and they've got a job of work to do, a difficult job. As a surgeon, I find surgery is much easier than, than politics. We don't have this, the same sort of problems. So am I, any Christian wanting to go into politics, I would say go for it. Um, we, we need you. You are a member of the House of Lords, and somebody addressing you as Lord McCall would say, well, wow, I wonder what he does during a normal course of a day. Well, I like to get up at the crack of dawn and get into the hospital and get on with the work. And uh, nothing, uh, the, the House of Lords doesn't start until about half past two in the afternoon, so I can get a whole day's work in uh, before that starts, which is good. And then uh, we start with question time, and I tend always to be there and uh, contribute. We have a saying in the House of Lords, we only talk about subjects you know something about, which is a good, uh, good principle. And then, of course, it may go on into the evening and occasionally into the small hours of the morning. So it can be a pretty long day. I may have to go off back to guys and do an operation or do some teaching halfway through the day. So it's a very varied um, uh, day that we have. What's it like being a lord who's a Christian as well, or, or a Christian lord, or one who holds Christian principles who is a lord? Well, it can give rise to some confusion. We, uh, we had a very nice Christian doctor from Iraq who came to our church. She worked at Guy's. And uh, afterwards, she was saying to the minister, yes, I met the Lord at Guy's Hospital. And the minister says, oh, I'm so pleased. And he, uh, he didn't realize that she was referring to me. <laughs> there are problems with this title. But one mustn't take these things too seriously. And that was Lord Ian McCall, ending with that humorous note on his view of Christianity as it relates to politics. Well, it's time to move into our Bible theme for the week. It's on the topic of grace. And I want to start off with a beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, God who got you started in this spiritual adventure shares with us the life of his son and our master Jesus. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, emphasizing that, you know, God doesn't just set us on the, the road and say, yep, you're a Christian, get on with your life. God is right there beside us the whole time, and it can be a fun spiritual adventure with him. He never gives up. He's always there to help us and be with us. Wonderful thoughts on grace there. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Victor. And if you've joined the program, this is the English language service of AWR. You may contact us with your questions or prayer requests by calling 000 800 
1704. Again, the number to call is 000-800-040-1704. Music now from Russ Taff. He's going to sing for us Holding to God's Unchanging Hand. Is filled with swift transition. Not of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Unchanging hand and hold his hand to God's unchanging hand. Hold his hand to God's unchanging hand. Unchanging Hand from Rust Half. And this is AWR, Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Hey, let me introduce you to these guys. Hello, my name's Trust. Hi, and I'm Honesty. Nice to meet you. I'm a friend of his. Now, with Trust and Honesty here, you can be sure that their psychic won't be too far away. And look, here she is now. Hey, love, how's it going? Fine, great to see you. Look who I brought, Faith. Hi. Faith, you remember these guys? Faith. Trust. Faith. Honesty, nice to see you. But look, you got to meet this guy. He always shows up to these sort of... Ah, look, here he is now. Hey, Hope. Oh, Hope is here I now. I knew you'd be here. Hope. So good to see you. People just 
seem to be a bit happier with hope around. When was the last time you saw hope? For real reasons to hope, or log on to www.hopetalk.org. We would love to hear from you. You may contact us with your questions or prayer requests by calling 000-800-040-1704. Again, the number to call is 
You remember we've been uh, promoting our little book called Steps to Christ, and we've been reading little snippets from this book um, every week, and we think it's a good thing. And you may say, why are you reading those snippets? Well, we want to encourage you to write in and ask for a copy of this book. It's a very small and light book, but the content, boy, that's something else. Uh, Let me interrupt you uh, here. We have received many requests for it. So I've been busy sending Step to Christ to our listeners out there, and we are very happy that it is nourishing your soul like it is nourishing ours. That's excellent. And in fact, if you want to write in and give us a feedback, in fact, of um, what you think about the book, that's also very welcome. Well, I'm going to read to you two very small sentences, actually, from the chapter called Consecration. We're just looking at, at a little bit from a chapter every week. Now, you have to try and guess, perhaps, when you receive your steps to Christ, where this text comes from, from reading the chapter on consecration. It says this, God's promise is, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's interesting, isn't it? So the question is, can we find God? Well, according to the Bible that's quoted in this chapter, we certainly can, but it's not a half-hearted looking for God. And the chapter goes to expand on all of that, explaining very clearly what that means. Here's another bit that I found interesting. It says, The war against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. Huh. So you think you're having problems with somebody else? Perhaps the battle is not with the other person, but with us. That's interesting, isn't it? What does that mean exactly? Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to write in and request this book so you can read this chapter that begins on uh, page 43, and then you can understand it a lot more. But, you know, in understanding that sentence, I found that I've been encouraged greatly in my daily life, my daily Christian life, you could say, and it's been very encouraging. We hope that you write in if you haven't received your copy as yet, and the address to write in is uh, awr 39 Bre- London Street, London W1, and of course that's England, and Josie has our email address. Yes, our email address is letters at awr.org. And Josie will be back with more of your letters next week. Well, we looked at the topic of God's grace a few moments ago, and we have another verse on that subject for you now. This is Ephesians 1 and verse 6. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son. And that's another way of reminding us that God so loved us all that he gave his only Son so that we didn't have to die, but we could live with him forever and that we could experience the joy and the sure certainty of eternal life the instant we believe. Ephesians 1 and verse 6 on another illustration of God's grace. Well, now it's time for Travelogue, and today we're going to explore the rich features of Durban, South Africa, and discover that something very exciting is about to happen in a city that over the years may have lost some of its original shine. From Malindi on the north coast of Kenya, right down to Durban on the South African east coast, you will find the fibres of history, culture and trade plaiting a braid of togetherness. There's a common thread that runs through Mombasa, Baira, Maputo, down to Durban. Threads of Arabic, 
Indian, British and Malaysian culture intertwined to a strong and colourful fabric. But it's to Durban that we want to go, the biggest of all the cities on the eastern coast of Africa. Licked and lapped by the Indian Ocean, sometimes in the calmness and beauty of an African sunrise, and sometimes in the fury and thunder of waves, angered by the fury of wind and rain, boiled up in a tropical mix of currents fighting for dominion. In the 1950s and early 60s, Durban was the gem in the coastal crown of South African tourism. But in the last 15 to 20 years, it has lost its sparkle, and Cape Town has stolen its luster. It used to make up 34% of the tourism trade in South Africa, but has steadily declined to a dismal 25%, of which much lies more around the sentiment than what it has to offer. But Durban's heart is undergoing a bypass operation and the surgeons are confident that the operation will be successful in an area referred to as Durban Point on an eight-hectare piece of ground. Something is happening. 850 workers are working hard to make something happen. At the peak of this operation, 2,500 people will be working to make it happen. What is it? It is the thing that will revive Durban back to glory, so they say. It is the Ushaka Island Project, taking its name from the king of African kings, Shaka the Zulu. The Ushaka Island Project will be the biggest marine theme park in Africa. In fact, it will have the fifth largest aquarium in the whole world, which will also make it the fifth largest marine park in the whole world. It may even one day be called one of the wonders of Africa. They are spending 735 million rand on this project. That's a lot of money. There will be roughly 80 shops as part of the complex, catering for everything from just a little bit hungry right through to big-time spending on designer goods. And in its heart will lie that that makes Durban what it is, a rich mix of African arts and crafts. Ever since the famous flipper films, every child has dreamt of swimming with the dolphins. At Ushaka, you can really do this. And if you would like to do something a little more scary, you can float down a man-made river with just a piece of clear glass between you and a ragged-toothed Zambezi shark, or a school of frenzied grey nurses. But if you'd rather choose something less stressful, you can go snorkelling amongst the tropical corals of the Indian Ocean and experience 3,500 specimens of coral, fish and mammals. And if you think they've forgotten something, they haven't there will be almost half a mile of beach with the soft golden sands of the South African beaches ready to be moulded into castles and mermaids. And if playing in the sand becomes boring, well, there's a marine fun park with everything that can swing and splash, slip and slide, thump and bump. Heaven on earth? Well, for those who can afford it, 
it will probably be near to heaven on earth. But remember, it's just for a day or two, or until your money runs out. After that, it's back to normal. And for those who cannot afford such an African dream, it's simply out of reach, and it will always be a dream away. When will we all get a chance to swim amongst dolphins and to have fun in the sun? There is a dream that is a reality. And I believe it because it comes from someone who is trustworthy. God promises that there will be a day that no one will cry. There will not be rich and poor, hungry and full, sad and glad. There is a guarantee given by Jesus that we can have new and everlasting life, a new earth where we will be able to play with lions and dolphins and elephant and leopards. You don't have to work for it or build it. It'll be given to you. All you have to do is believe in Him. If you don't know God, it's easy to get to know Him. Well, just go out alone one day and watch the sunset. Then sit quietly and say, God, if you are really there, give me something to believe that you are there. Keep that secret in your heart and wait for him. And that is indeed a secret worth holding on to. That was Bertie Donation, our South African correspondent, with that inspiring travel log. Did you know that there is a mold which captures and eats animals? Those scientists who reject evolution in favour of creation often point out that there are no simple forms of life. Each kind of life is both specialised and very complex. While evolutionary scientists try to arrange living things from simple to complex, creation scientists ask them to let them know when they finally find a simple form of life. At first glance, mould would seem to be a simple form of life. It doesn't sing, dance or write plays, but neither do a lot of people. However, mould, like every other life form, is still perfectly suitable for its needs. Several forms of mould actually capture and eat animals, in this case a small worm known as a nematode. Some moulds grow sticky knobs that trap the worms, but one, known as the cowboy lasso mould, grows tiny loops or lassos. Should an unwary worm try to crawl through the loop, the loop swells shut, strangling the nematode. The worm is then digested at the mole's leisure. This is much too complex and specialised for a simple mould to have engineered. It is too filled with purpose to be the result of purposeless natural laws. God does not operate without purpose, not when he created mould, nor when he deals with us. His most earnest desire is for a relationship with you and me through Jesus Christ. And that's it for today's edition of our English Language Service. And your letters and comments are always welcomed, along with your request for our No Fear brochure. You may contact us with your questions or prayer requests by calling 000-800-040-1704. Again, the number to call is 000-800-040-1704. I'm Victor Holbert. And I'm Piper Anna Shields. And we do hope that you can join us for the next English Language Service broadcast. But until then, do take care, goodbye and God bless.